You're listening to The Luxury Item, the podcast on the business of luxury and the people and companies that are shaping the future of the luxury industry. Here's your host, Scott Kerr. The luxury industry has been heavily impacted by the COVID-19 crisis in 2020. According to Bain & Company, the overall luxury market shrank 23%, their largest ever drop and first since 2009 when it started tracking the industry. But after a bleak year for luxury in 2020, there's light at the ends of the tunnel. While the crisis has delivered a devastating impact on businesses and jobs, it may have also actually accelerated responses by luxury and fashion companies to rethink their business models, streamline their operations, and sharpen their customer propositions. One luxury group that's been beating a path to the light at the end of the tunnel is Caring. It's one of the largest and most profitable luxury powerhouses in the world and includes a portfolio of renowned luxury houses like Gucci, Saint Laurent, Bottega Veneta, Balenciaga, Alexander McQueen, and Brioni, to name a few. Like other luxury players like LVMH and Richemont, Kering also felt the impact of COVID-19 on its sales. While its annual results for 2020 were certainly down, it could have been worse. Buoyed by an upturn in activity in Asia and North America in the second half of the year, as well as a spike in e-commerce, the group has shown resilience and agility. In fact, most recently, revenue at Kering's Gucci brand rebounded strongly in the first quarter of 2021, adding to signs of a comeback for the luxury goods industry overall. Kering is also recognized as a standout leader in its commitment to sustainability. Earlier this year at the World Economic Forum in Davos, Kering was ranked among the top 10 most sustainable companies in the world. Here to talk about Kering, the luxury market, and industry trends is my special guest, Laurent Clacon, president of Kering Americas. Mr. Clacon began his work with Kering in 2004, where he served as an advisor to chairman and CEO Francois-Henri Pinot at Artemis Group. One year later, he joined Kering's executive committee and assumed several leadership roles, including senior VP of communications and chief of staff. In 2007, as the head of corporate social responsibility, Clacon created Kering's first sustainability program and launched the Kering Foundation to end violence against women in 2009. Welcome to the luxury item, Laurent. Thank you, Scott. Thank you for joining me on the show. So Kering, a lot of our, a lot of our if not most of our listeners know generally about Kering, and, um, but I, I would love to hear from you a little bit more about the history of caring. Thank you, Scott. And again, thank you for inviting me to your show. Um, yes, caring, I like to say that caring um, is a family group that has been founded by Francois Pinault in 1963. And today it's a group which is listed in the French Stock Exchange, but it's also a group which is family-owned and family-controlled. And that's an important aspect for me because everything we do is long-term. And for that reason, it's important. And also everything we do is for the sole motivation and the benefit of the company. So it's a company that has been founded again, you know, more than 55 years ago, but very, which is very different now, you know, we changed the scope of activity many times, you know, we went from the timber industry to distribution to finally focus on the luxury industry. And today we are a pure player. We are a pure player in that industry. We are a luxury group of luxury brand. We have a portfolio of 12 luxury brands. Uh, six in the fashion and accessories segment, brands that you know from Gucci, Saint Laurent, Bottega Veneta, Alexander McQueen, Balenciaga, and Brioni, 
and six also in watches and jewelry with brands like Pomelato or Boucheron or, or Gérard Perigot, Ulysse Nardin, and I know you know FX, our CEO. Yeah. So a lot about that portfolio and um, what is true since the beginning of the group is, and true to the DNA, is that entrepreneurial spirit, you know, because again, we changed the scope of activity, but that stay true since the beginning. Why did you change the scope of the activity? What what did you see, uh, you know, what do the company see in luxury that they said that we're going to go all in in this sector? So again, in a very entrepreneurial way, you know, at one point, you know, the, the other activities were very capital intensive and the margin that you enjoy in that industry um, um, uh, more attractive in a way. And the idea of the family was always to have a portfolio. I mean, it's just that very idea that you don't put all your eggs in the same basket. You know, you have that very well, uh, but it's a very well curated and selected brands. You know, each of them has a very specific, you know, positioning. And that's what makes also the group very specific. It's not only to have that portfolio strategy, but it's like each of them are very strong, very unique, differentiated, unique point of view. They each can make a statement. We like to believe a brand is like a person. You make a statement, you like it or you don't like, like it, but you're very differentiated and specific and very strong. So it's not only that portfolio, but again, the quality and the strength of each of the brand. And that's what motivated the group to answer your question, to, uh, to build that portfolio. So with all, all these luxury houses in, in the portfolio, and it's a big, you know, Caring's a massive company, how do you stay agile and innovative and creative for a company your size? Yeah, it's a good question because we always want to keep also that kind of like, I would say almost startup spirit, which is that entrepreneurial spirit. And I think it all trickled down, you know, it's company culture, which is one of the topics that really fascinate me today. You know, it's all these little programs and initiative that makes the company very unique. You know, you can't tell 38,000 people be entrepreneur or be happy or do this or do that. You know, you need to create the condition and the company and the culture for them to be entrepreneurial and to think about the box and to be agile. And that's that's what we do. And again, it comes from the top, from Francois-Henri Pinot, our chairman and CEO, who always encourage us to think about the box, to be innovative and to challenge the status, the status quo and reinvent ourselves. And that's why we did things like Caring Eyewear, because I always mentioned the 12th luxury brand, but we also have Caring Eyewear, which was totally unique. And we're the first one in the industry to integrate all the, what used to be a license for eyewear in the company to control the full value chain of the eyewear, you know, from the design and not only the design, sorry, but also from the production to the distribution and that was a very entrepreneurial move you know that was very innovative and very agile and very entrepreneurial but this is what we do but to be innovative to answer on the innovation front um we also have you know an organization on innovation inside the group and we look at three aspects in innovation we look at all the new material you know, what about the mushroom leather and the spider silk and the orange peel fabric, you know, all this new material. Second, we look at all the new business model and the second hand and, you know, all the like new business model and then artificial intelligence. And then on creativity, it's, it's almost uh, maybe we should ask directly 
you know, the CEO of the brand that have to manage the designer and the creativity. But at the end of the day, you have to trust people and empower them. And the signature of the company is empower imagination. And I think you have to give people the right to be creative and innovative and you have to empower them. Yeah, I think that I was reading somewhere that, that creation is really at the heart of everything Caring does. Could you talk about that? Yeah, creativity, it's really about that, empowering imagination and, and let people to be creative. But when we say we believe in creativity is because first of all, we are working in an industry which is driven by the offer and not the demand, right? Mm -hmm. You can't ask anyone in the street or you can't make any marketing studies to know what people want for the next collection. So we highly dependent on one creative mind and one team to say that. So you need to really let them and empower them and believe in them. So when we say we put creativity is because all the brands that I was mentioning are very strong content and innovative content. Of course, they work, they all work on the balance between the heritage and the history because six of our 12 brands are more than 100 years old. Right. She is one of them, you know, founded in 1921 in Firenze. But, you know, they balance that, but also, you know, um, entrusting someone in a creative mind to continue the storytelling of that brand and to believe in creativity. And that's another, a good example is that we have for each of the brand, one creative mind and one team, mm -hmm. very strong vision. We don't have someone for ready to wear and someone for accessories and someone for men and someone for women and someone for the stores and someone for the campaign. No, we have one creative vision that we trust and that we believed in for the creative vision of the brand. And that's how much we believe in creativity. You know, it's no secret that the pandemic fast-tracked many of the slow changes that were already underway in the luxury industry. And one of those things that were changing in luxury, that luxury has kind of come around to, is to embrace the digital evolution. And I know Caring has been way ahead of the game in its digital transformation and e-commerce. So how has the pandemic shifted your digital strategies? I think to your point, Scott, you're right. Um, the crisis doesn't really create trends. Crisis accelerate trends. And we see that on many different aspects, but one of them is what we could call the digital explosion. It was already there, right? It just has been accelerated big time. So what we see is everything we used to do, we do it even more and we do it faster. So we don't really change the strategy. We have accelerated the strategy. And um, specifically on digital, what I see and what I found fascinating as well is the uprising in a way of distance sale and virtual shopping. Mm -hmm. And that is kind of, that was existing, but kind of like, not as significant as today, is how you connect with the customer digitally, but in a more emotional way. And, and which leads me to, how, you know, how do you have your digital and physical channels working together and physical, I just don't mean the stores, but physical as the sales associates and the people on the front line who have to change their strategies too? 
Absolutely. And that's going to even change the role of retail as well, even if we think that retail has a bright future. Um, I'm not disclosing any uh, new numbers. We're a public company. We disclose the number that the e-com is around 50% of the business, 15% of the business. Right. That means the rest is retail, right? People still want to go to the store and touch the product and, and you know, feel and get the experience. So we feel retail as a bright future, but also that role is also changing because it's more sometimes flagship and the conversation can continue online. And, and again, we used to have a bit of the classic, you know, retail and wholesale, and then also the e-com, but then now you have all in between the virtual shopping and the distance sales. So you're still connected to the store, but you can do it from home through a camera of your, your iPhone device or any, any device you choose. So you're still connected by a camera to the sales associate in the store, but you still do it from home or remotely. So that is new, you know, so we have to reinvent ourselves and, and adapt to this new reality for sure. And digital is everywhere, you know, it's not only in retail, but now for us, it's also in showroom, in virtual showroom and virtual stores. And, you know, it's really becoming even more part of our life. So what role do you think physical stores will play in the luxury shopping experience? You can probably assume that, you know, now that shoppers are starting to come back into the physical stores, they probably don't want the same the same exact experience that they remember, you know, before the pandemic. They probably something want something enhanced, something different, more uplifting. What what role do you think physical stores will play? Right, you know, it's all about the customer relationship and the customer experience. So customer relationship is really to be able to continue and engage with, to continue to engage with all our clients. And a client, it's anyone who pushed the door, you know, from the stores. And, and again, we continue that relationship in the store online as a seamless experience. But if people go to the store to answer your question, yes, I think they want first the emotional and human connection with a sales associate and the brand. They want that kind of like, you know, interaction, but they also want to be surprised. They want to learn something. They want to, you know, they want to interact in a different way. So um, Gucci was really pioneered, you know, on that front with mm -hmm. almost future of retail with a store in Soho and Worcester, on Worcester, right. with Gucci Worcester where you can find in that store, not only clothes and accessories, but you also have like a library and a space for talk and panel discussion. And you go there and you can speak hours with sales associate and then they give you a, um, a smoothie and you can just hang out on the sofa and go on the Wi-Fi and do your thing. So the, the, the stores become almost a place where the community can just be and learn and and we saw so many people who just wanted to know more about the brands they just wanted to touch the brand they ordered clothes they wanted to try the clothes and just to understand and and be part of that world and that lifestyle so it's true the store in itself become much more than a store it's become a destination where you want to feel emotion human connection surprise and be educated and given that do you think the role of the sales associate will have to evolve into because they you have customers that really want this human connection that they will have to have more i don't know emotional intelligence if you will i'm just thinking i'm wondering if the, the the skills need to change or evolve um for the sales associates 
Yes, for sure. I mean, it's like it's we need to constantly, you know, look at this evolution of the skills to your point, because what I think we want from a sales associate is a few things, right? First, you want also, I mean, first, there's no specific order, but you want uh, the expertise, you know, you want someone who'll be able to talk to you as well about the product, you know, the the craftsmanship and the quality and the design and the uh, and this, but also about the brand, about the history, about a hundred years old brand, you know, all this expertise about the product and the brand. But there is also empathy and generosity. And these are becoming more and more important to the role of the sales associate. The empathy, try to understand the other, right? What is in, what is the best interest? of the client, what, what is he looking for? What does he want? What, how can I just help him or her? How can I serve her, the client better? And that goes with empathy, but also generosity. Generosity means if that person after being in the store was actually looking for something we don't have, maybe try to tell the person where he can find that product, right? Maybe even if it's someone else, Maybe they also want to go and have lunch after the visit and be able to advise of where to go. So that's what I call generosity. So you're president of Caring Americas. Can you tell our listeners a little bit about Caring Americas and, and what you do, what you oversee? Sure. So I'm, I'm the president of the Americas for North America and South America. And the organization of our group is um, what we describe as freedom within a framework. So we provide the framework as caring, but the brand, brands remain uh, quite autonomous. Like I said at the beginning, we want the brand to be very strong, very specific, differentiated, and true to themselves. So we don't want them to be to look the same, obviously. So we let them do absolutely what you know thing is right for the brand in terms of product and communication. Mm-hmm. But on the back of the house, and this is the power of a group where we can, you know, go uh, create values and uh, be stronger together, there is a lot of resource that we can share, which is more from a business point of view, function like logistics and finance and technology and, you know, all these different functions that we can share and, and, and um, uh, make available for the brand to support them and protect them. Well, I have to congratulate you on a strong top line performance in Q1. Um, you know, after a difficult year in the luxury industry, we're starting to see some traction from an overall increased demand for luxury goods. What do you see are the industry opportunities right now and the challenges as the market starts bouncing back? I think, you know, when I was talking about the different trends that have been accelerated with the prices and which represent uh, to your point, opportunity and challenges at the same time. But opportunity, one of them is to connect or reconnect with local client and local customer. Mm-hmm. Because obviously with the crisis, there's no, they've put an alt, you know, there's a, like no more tourism, nowhere almost in the world. So, and that's one of the reasons why North America was doing as a great performance on the first uh, quarter is because there is a a very strong local clientele base. And I think the the coming up months is again an opportunity for all of us to connect and reconnect with the local customer. Be the first time, you know, that a 
you know, connect with the brand. And a lot of us are connecting with the brands for the first time through e-com, but also through the store. So we actually saw a lot of new clients for the first time. And I think it's a great opportunity to connect with them, to engage with them, and to create a relationship with them. Uh, another opportunity would be also with millennial that we see, you know, we see more the generational shift, you know, that continues and having younger and younger client, which is also an amazing opportunity for the months and years to come. Um, the digital blast that we that that we mentioned. So I think there's a lot, uh, a lot coming up for us. Were there any surprises over the past year about the customers? Um, I would say it's it's more like for me and like um, um, more like an, uh, a general you know feeling that the fundamentals of our industry are very strong. I never had a doubt, but it's through at the beginning of the crisis you could say, okay, what about the luxury industry? And very quickly, you see the fundamentals of that industry are very strong. I mean, the role and the purpose of luxury and fashion is really, you know, to look good, but to feel good at the end of the day. It's a way to express yourself, to reward yourself. And I think by doing what we do, we're not only selling clothes and handbags. I think we're giving really people a way to express themselves and really at the end of the day to increase their self-confidence. And not that I was a surprise because I always believed in it, but it was challenged for a while. And I was surprised how quickly it came back because that connection that you want with the brands and the luxury item actually very strong and give you a lot of confidence. And that's something that people, you know, always need and, and, and we, we, we saw it. So that, that came quickly than what I thought. Yeah. You can never count the luxury category out. If you look at, you know, all the crises that happened in the past, you know, 50 years, you know, luxury, you know, has been resilient uh, at every single time, you know, from the pandemic and Black Lives Matter to gender politics and environmentalism, 2020 forced fashion and luxury brands to evaluate how they position and market themselves. What changes does the luxury industry need to embrace urgently, do you think? I mean, what it was, yeah, it was, you know, such a wake up call and a learning curve for so many of us. But I think what we all realize uh, is how diversity is important, but not only diversity, but inclusion. Because, you know, it's not only checking the box for diversity, but it's how do you include diversity within your organization and make everyone feel comfortable and at ease and at home, you know? And that thing, that is something we need to, to embrace, you know? Our vision of diversity is also very pragmatic, like everything we do at Caring. It's, we think diversity is creativity and that's what's bring creativity, right? If you have different, different people around the table, right? You just have different point of view and that's what's bring creativity. So first we need diversity if we want to be creative and have ideas. And the second is you also want to be internally in your society, a reflection of today's society. So today's society is diverse. So we need to reflect that into our organization. That's how we approach this topic. And then again, to answer your question, we need not only to be diverse, but to make sure that everyone is included. 
do you think the industry is making strides over the past six months to do that? I see, yeah, because I see, I, uh, I mean, I see a lot of changes, but I also see a lot of people committed to do the work. And I think everyone now is accountable and I see a lot of changes. I mean, I see with it our organization at Caring. Now we also have uh, an amazing woman, Kalpana Denzel, who is the head of diversity and inclusion and talent. That means she's not only diversity and inclusion, she's also talent. She means that she's controlling the recruitment, right? right. I mean, she is, you know, having an imprint on the recruitment itself. So she also has the tool to make it happen, you know? So I, I can see how people really want to make the change and are committed to do it and committed to do the work. Kalpana, you know, she was part of a discussion at Wharton um, that I, I, I watched a video of it. Um, it was on the challenges of making luxury more inclusive. And she had this great quote. She said, if creativity and innovation are the heartbeat of this industry, then having diverse perspectives engaged in an inclusive environment will only strengthen that creativity and innovation. Absolutely. I mean, that's, that, that's, uh, that's yeah, basically, I feel the same is you need all like diverse point of view around the table if you want to spark creativity and innovation. Does caring have like these internal benchmarks when it comes to in inclusivity that they strive to meet? Yeah, I mean, in terms of diversity, we we can measure, you know, different uh, criteria, but only in the US, as you know, it's not the same, um, the, the same legal framework all over the world. But instead of sustainability, which is also a journey that we started long time ago at Caring, more than 10 years ago, and right away with very holistic approach, not only the environment, but also the community and the social aspect of it. And with, with really uh, an angle on gender equality and equal opportunity right from the beginning around women empowerment. And now we're going to a much broader, of course, definition of diversity and collective intelligence. But uh, on the environment of France, we have been recognized by many indexes and yeah. organization, including Davos and the uh, World Economic Forum and Corporate Nights are one of the top 10 sustainable company in the world and number one in our industry for four years in a row. So yeah, we very also uh, committed to, to, to this, you know, and again, it starts from the top with Francois Ripino, our chairman and CEO, who is deeply convinced that this is the only way to to tackle and solve the major challenges of the 21st century. Yeah, I think back in March, the Business of Fashion magazine recognized Caring as one of the top performers on its sustainability index, especially when it comes to transparency. Um, and I think you were actually the first luxury company to create an environmental PNL. Yeah, do you think consumers are willing to pay more for sustainable products? I don't know. Ask them. <laughs> there is a difference between what you say and what you do. But, you know, no, all the studies show that people are really integrated this criteria into account in their purchasing decision, especially the younger population. So it's definitely important to everyone. And that level of like transparency 
um, that we have now and, and for the best, you know, also through social media and internet, but consumer really push us because they want to know, they want to know the, um, the traceability and they want to know the social, you know, responsibility around our product and our material. So they also push us to even always improve. But for us, again, it was really embedded into our business model, like from the beginning. We think sustainability is not an option, it's a necessity and it's even quality when you talk about luxury because we have a role to play, you know, we are setting trends. So we really integrated that into everything we do and not only our product and operation, but all across the supply chain up to the raw material. And now we're talking about the cotton and the, the gold and the leather. And that's why we did the environmental profit and loss account because with that tool, this pioneer tool that we have developed, we can measure the impact of everything we do across that supply chain and value chain. And in terms of CO2 emission and waste and air pollution and water consumption, we can measure it and give a monetary value. That's why it's a PNL. But it's not that much the, the amount which is important. It just helps us to make choices and to prioritize. But it is really key if you want to understand where your impact is, and after that, have an action plan. And again, we are a public company at a French stock exchange. So we're very transparent. We have very precise and, and objective and measurable objective. And we're fully transparent. And we also open source for a lot of things that we do in terms of methodology and technology. So that methodology is on our website available for everyone because we think that we can win as an industry, not alone. A similar topic, I want to talk about the whole resale trend. And it wasn't long ago that a luxury house wouldn't even comment on secondhand or resale or consignment. And what a difference a few years makes and a pandemic can make. Um, you know, last month, Caring acquired 5% stake in uh, Vestiaire Collective. What is the thinking behind that investment? Is it sort of like dipping your toes right now into the secondhand market? Yeah, no, first, we, we always have recognized that there is a market for secondhand. We were not trying to ignore it. Um, and, and that was not everyone's position, but caring position was always to acknowledge and recognize that there is a market. And we were all trying to do, we always, you know, look at some of the partner, like the real, real as partner. And we did with Gucci. So we always look at that. But when I was talking about our innovation, you know, uh, strategy on different aspects, one of them is new business model. And this is one of them, because for us, secondhand is circular economy. Mm -hmm. You know, of course you buy and by definition, almost the luxury item, considering the level of craftsmanship and quality and functionality, you can keep it a long time. And then that kind of makes sense that that product can have a second life. It could be, you can give it to a friend or giving to a member of your family, but you also can reset it and buy something else. And then that's really part of this circular economy as well. So I think that was interesting at a moment where we embrace this um, economy and that business and that market to, uh, to be able to partner with Vestia Collective. And there is already a partnership with Alexander McQueen, which is very right. interesting. And yeah, it's and a it, service to the client. It's a service to the client. Right. And it introduces people to, to brands they perhaps in the past have not been able to reach. You could have a customer for life. Absolutely. So coming out of the pandemic, 
you know, what will the luxury industry's greatest challenge be, do you think, in the next five years? And where do you think the luxury industry should focus? Mm. So, yeah, it's a tough question. No one has a crystal ball. I know. I, and I thought you had the crystal ball. <laughs> That's why you're on. I think that would be a perfect segue with the last question, which, you know, I mean, the last topic on sustainability. I strongly believe that sustainability is one of our biggest challenge. You know, I mean, some people say that fashion is the second most polluting industry in, in, in the world, on the planet. So we have a duty to act and fast. So it must be even faster than the next five years. But that's definitely a key challenge and one of the priority for the fashion industry as a whole for the next five years. And again, François-Henri Pinault had been, you know, entrusted with the mission by Emmanuel Macron, our president in France, with the mission with the Fashion Pact, you know, and he gathered a number of companies that represent more than 30% of the fashion industry worldwide to take, you know, commitment and pledge to different topics from CO2 emission to biodiversity and ocean. So I think there is an urgency and that is the major challenge that we need to address for the next five years and we need to do it collectively and fast. Well, we know that caring is leading the way in that area. So the final question, which I ask all my guests is the luxury item question. If you were stranded on a deserted island and you can only and you could only have one luxury item. What would that luxury item be? It can't be any form of transportation or air transportation or boats or anything that requires mobile service. You are stuck on that island. What would that one luxury item be that you would like to have? So it can't be a person, right? It has to be an item because it, it's not it, just it's <laughs> I'm leaving that up to you. It's an open-ended question. Everybody interprets it differently. So as long as it's not transportation or anything that requires mobile service, that's, that's, your, that's your call. So I would ask my partner to come with me because I don't want to be alone in this island and I don't need anything else. I don't need any object. Um, I think just time and space and love are really for me the ultimate luxury and if my partner is with me on that island i get everything i need for to live that's a great answer laurent clacon president of caring americas thank you so much for joining me on the luxury item today thank you scott that's it for this episode of the luxury item podcast thank you so much for listening If you found this useful and entertaining, I would be really grateful if you can share it with a friend or colleague. I would love it if you subscribe so you never miss an episode. And while you're there, be sure to rate and review us on Apple Podcasts. It really helps other listeners find us. The Luxury Item Podcast is a production of Silvertone Consulting. I'm your host, Scott Kerr. Until next time.